Hello and welcome back for Series 2 of the Bible and Me podcast. I hope you enjoyed Series 1 and we've got some fantastic interviews lined up for you in Series 2. Our first episode is hosted by Nigel and our guest today is Chris Mould, an award-winning Christian leader in anti-poverty community action. This is a fantastic episode and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. So without further ado, over to Nigel. I am delighted to welcome Chris Mould with us today to the Precept UK Bible and Me podcast. Uh, Before focusing on the voluntary and social sectors, Chris spent over 20 years in senior public sector management and executive roles, uh, including as chief executive of two NHS trusts. Uh, Chris has many interests, including long distance running, mountaineering and as I've just uh, discovered uh, just before the interview he's just back from walking up a mountain in Bulgaria Uh, he has great interest in theology philosophy and also cooking and I also understand you've been a keen hockey player in your time as well so welcome to the program Chris thank you Um, back in 2012 Chris um, a Guardian newspaper journalist Patrick Butler wrote this about you if rapid growth is the benchmark then Chris mold is indisputably one of the uk's top social entrepreneurs his emergency food charity the trussell trust with its unfashionable christian mission to tackle poverty and feed the hungry has become in a slightly unnerving way one of the great social business success stories of the austerity era chris patrick mentions here the words unfashionable christian mission uh, clearly, the Christian side of what you do and what motivates you is is very important to you. How and why um, did you become a follower of Jesus? That goes right back to uh, teenage years. Um, yeah, I, I was a, a young teenager, 13, 14 years old, and really struggling with aspects of um, uh discipline and school and so on so beginning to uh, stay away from school when I should have been there uh, uh, and getting involved in yeah wrong crowd um, people taking drugs that sort of thing Um, and one Saturday went down into town with friends I actually knew that there was a a Christian rock concert on in the local school uh, which I decided to go to with my friend Richard because um, actually it wasn't in a local school. I'm remembering better now. It was in a local church. But yeah, I went there because it was raining, because it was March, it was cold, and the pub we tried to get into didn't want us. So it, you could get a beer in certain places, but n- not that night. Uh, and I heard good music. It was a Meet Jesus music concert was an awesome thing um and in between the songs different band members gave their testimonies of how jesus had uh, transformed their lives and what he meant to them and of course by the end you know they give you the chance to come up to the front if you feel that you want to receive um this jesus they've been talking about into your life and have that wonderful release of forgiveness and so on and so forth they spoke in that way and i was overwhelmed with a hunger I needed this you know absolute this was what I desperately wanted and and, and I leapt from the the seat I was near the back uh, and, and kind of powered my way to the front I was close to running um, but um, at the same time aware this was bad news because I was probably first off the off the blocks uh, and what on earth was I go, my reputation going to be like amongst the friends, you know, but I just wanted it. I just wanted Jesus. Sudden, overwhelming hunger. Uh, and of course, you know, now for the front. In fact, others followed. Um, my friend Richard came along, various other people who started to move, you know. Um, and we were prayed for and, and uh, that's where it all began. Amazing. Seeing early, early signs of leadership right there, you know, storming out the front. I think it was to, to, God that did to, the pushing. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. So just hearing about Jesus and, and being, um, I guess, convicted in some sense. 
There was a huge hole in my life. And, you know, when you hear people talking about it, the people who spoke from the band had themselves been involved in uh, sad things, uh, drug misuse, broken families. Um, One woman was a a vicar's daughter and the vicar had got so tired of her bad behaviour, he'd thrown her out of the house. They were reconciled later. But, you know, so is this sense of Jesus there for those of us that actually... May look okay on the surface, but underneath, just know we're empty shells. Yep. We need something. And um, what changed? Well, great question. Um, <laughs> slowly <laughs> is how the change occurred. See, nobody told me that actually when you became a Christian, you needed to have better fellowship, hang out with different people, uh, study uh, what you just embraced as a faith belief. And I had, in those days, I mean, going back more than 40 years now, you know, you, I went to church from time to time, and my parents did. It was Anglican Church, the old-fashioned Book of Common Prayer service and things. So I kind of knew uh, things about the faith, but not in a very um, structured way. And, and um, yeah, it took me about a year to get through the process of realizing that some of the people I was with weren't good for me and realizing I needed something else. During that period, along came another very important uh, person in my life, an influence, a young man in my school class who turned up from another school, so he was new, um, uh, Martin, Martin Coulter. And, and we used to laugh about Martin. We called him Hallelujah Martin because he would be overwhelmed with excitement. You know, As he walked down the corridor, suddenly the Holy Spirit would touch him and he'd bounce and he'd say, Hallelujah! You know? <laughs> Oh, you can imagine what the boys' grammar school thought of that. I mean, he was he was Mr. Weirdo. But yeah. Martin was not Mr. Weirdo. Martin was someone who knew the Lord, who'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. And I got to know him. I became friends with him. Through that, we both started to go to the school Christian union. Uh, that got us involved with other Christians. And we realized that, you know, there was this whole supportive um, environment uh, ready for us where y- you could could learn uh, what being a Christian meant. Very interesting issue at our school was that there was no Christian teacher involved. It was led by us, the boys. And I believe that was a significant reason for why our CU grew fast, why we ended up with the Holy Spirit moving in our meetings we used to meet every day break and lunchtime we had healings we had all sorts of things going on within a couple of years because there wasn't the oversight uh, and the caution associated with you know what's going on here that a teacher would have had to bring of course they would oh wow amazing and so so those sort of teenage years um were quite formative and you i guess you started to grow and understand more about who this jesus was that you wanted to follow Yes, I mean, I need to say that uh, during the same period, my mother had been searching. She'd been, you know, quite a committed Christian as a as a young woman, a teenager, and into university, but then dropped it away. Um, and she really came back to the Lord at the same time. So we used to go to meetings together and listen to some quite well known speakers. Um, this is in the early seventies, nineteen seventies. We went to church together. Uh, my brother became a Christian. My dad got back to uh, full faith uh, shortly after that. My aunt, uh, then my cousins, uh, my grandfather, all sorts of things. It was a mm-hmm. very powerful few years. Yeah. Uh, and this, the church we went to was um, superb, uh, great teaching, good leadership, no youth group. So by the time I was 16, I, I and my then girlfriend um now wife joined a you know an adult church home group and were picked up and looked after very well so 16 onwards we were leading cu um both angela and i in our different schools um doing a bit of preaching going and doing small things in small churches sort of outreach work Mm. from st andrew's hatters lane Amazing, amazing. And you, you left that school and you went on to um, Oxford University. Um, what was it like at Oxford and your being a Christian at Oxford? Interesting. In one sense, it was superb because, you know, there's a wonderful, dynamic Christian environment. 
uh, great churches, St. Ev's, St. Aldate's, uh, St. Clement's uh, at the time. Um, we came to Oxford as committed Christians who'd been involved in uh, adult church. And we'd had a year of gap year. We'd been at work. I'd been in the factory and other things like that. And it seemed really peculiar to, to re-enter this kind of um, age-barriered, naive um, world of, of student Christianity. Um, I don't want to be rude because, of course, it was very effective at, at sort of sharing the gospel, encouraging students to pay attention to the fact that life uh, lay ahead of them and that they needed to have some kind of experience of of God in order to make best use of the life that had that lay ahead of them. But as a result of that, we ended up going to becoming members of St. Clement's Church in, in Oxford because they didn't really do students, uh, they did church. So we were again in a home group. We had people who had manual jobs in our in our in our Bible study group, as well as midwives and you know other, other a range of professionals. But but it was a much more like a normal environment. Mm. I mean, there were churches at the time where they did you know they didn't do things in the non-academic uh, terms because they were there for the students. And and actually, Angela and I got married in the end of the second year. Um, so we wanted to be part of a church that looked after you all year round rather than saying you can't come because you're a student. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you were, married, you were married in Oxford. Molly and I were married in Oxford, actually. Ah, oh, right. Yeah. Well, we got married where, where, back <coughs> home near High Wycombe, but yes, it was oh, right. at the time we were in Oxford. <laughs> uh, good place to live, actually. Yeah. First year of married life in, in, in central Oxford. Oh, wonderful. On leaving university, you, you then worked um, from... 1982 through to 2001 in the health services, often at chief executive level. Were you always marked out to be a sort of chief executive um, and work at that level? And, and how did your faith in Jesus help you in those roles? It's a little less straightforward than it sounded the way <laughs> you put it. I actually went from Oxford, unsure what I should do, to study a master's degree at the London School of Economics. Um, I studied social policy uh, and planning, social planning, uh, with a focus on developing countries. And I was the only UK uh, student on the course, so from all sorts of different places, Indonesia, Botswana, uh, Zimbabwe, uh, Mexico, fascinating group of people studying this master's. Um, it was a tough start because I, I was married, consequently, uh, Andrew and I were tied together in, in as far as the government was concerned financially. I couldn't get a grant uh, because it wasn't available. She couldn't claim unemployment benefit because she's married to me, and those are the days, weren't they? Uh, and therefore, the fact that I wasn't available for work meant she couldn't get benefits. So we went to London, took on a rent uh, with no money coming, trusting the Lord, saying you know, that he wants us to do this, we believe. She got a job uh, as, a, as a publishing assistant with the Bible Society and so had some happy times working with them. But it was a tough period. We were very short of money. Um, we uh, found it was great to be in London and joined a wonderful church. But people used to say, oh, fantastic. I guess you get off to the theatre quite often. And we said, you're joking. <laughs> some weekends we walk around without enough money to, to get the food uh, together for the weekend, you know? Mm. Um, Sometimes, not always, but mm. it was it was tough. So I did the master's degree, and we did it with the belief that we were heading for mission work, and we thought the Lord was calling us to go abroad. The idea was to get a academic post in a country where Christian evangelism wasn't very um, uh, popular, in fact, was illegal, uh, uh, and we saw ourselves as people heading in that direction to to those kind of countries to help support church planting and so on uh, and it didn't come off I, I applied for 120 jobs I had a distinction in a master's degree and didn't get uh, get work mm. um, very tough time for graduates in the very early 80s the, the economy changed a lot and Mrs Thatcher was squeezing tight on a lot of things and so graduate unemployment was very very high um, and I wandered into a careers office, London University careers office, eyes drawn to this notice about a management training scheme in the health service, and felt the Spirit of God prompt me, saying, pay attention, that's what you need to go for. 
So I spent months uh, pursuing the different levels of becoming a management trainee in the NHS, climbed up right the way through from the 5,000 applicants down to the last few, um, loads of regional and then national selection process, um, and didn't get selected. I was so sure that this was what God wanted me to do to be in the health service. I phoned up the Department of Health and said, I'm puzzled. Why didn't I get on? I think I should be on. Are you sure you've done this right? Uh, and the lady I spoke to in the Department of Health said, this is interesting because you actually scored A's in all the interviews. I don't understand. Hmm. But it's too late. But perhaps I can help. Would you mind if I showed your CV to some friends of mine in the health service? So I got in... Uh, as a clerical officer um, on a three-month temporary contract. That's not, not as, the, as a national management trainee. The reality is that the NHS was in a huge state of flux at the time, lots of opportunity, and promotion was fast. Um, I ended up as general manager of South End Hospital when I was 26, so managing, directly managing over 600 people. Quite a challenge. Um, uh, uh, but not this thing about being marked out, you asked that question. Mm. No. Um, the NHS said, this guy is going to leave. Um, he won't stay with us. That was the psychological assessment sitting behind the decision, despite the good scores. I actually stayed a lot longer than many of the people that were given management training uh, traineeships um, but they had a point my loyalty was elsewhere and, and the, the, a psychologist later who assessed me for something else said you're always going to be an outsider I said what do you mean he said you, you, you actually have a, a loyalty somewhere else it stands out you are not commandable um, and the, the issue was, was Christian faith is that the Bible and Jesus our Lord and King, you know, and it, it, it affected my decision making and it's how I spoke about the way I would do the work that I did. And on these psychometric tests and mm. things, it flagged an issue. Um, I'm glad it did because it, you know, suggests that this faith thing is real mm. rather than just a concept. And, and how, how did your faith help you, guide you in those chief executive roles um was it you know how, how did it assist you clearly very demanding roles a lot of responsibility well, uh, jesus tells us that when we need some help we ask yeah <laughs> uh, and he, he he wasn't messing he's absolutely right the wisdom the answers uh the guidance is available the lord does speak and he's not just in a, in a kind of spiritually inspired direct message sense, although sometimes I'm sure that's how I hear it. You know, I know this is the answer and it's the word of you know, God has spoken, told me do this or do that, uh, nudge and so on. It's also because the Bible, in my view, contains everything that you might ever need to assist you in deciding how to do any job that humankind might ever create. It's to do with how you should behave and how you relate to other people. But also, what do we expect of society? What does a good political economy look like? And so on and so forth. It's all there. Uh, you just have to make time to look, to study, to, to reflect, to read other people's perspectives and insights. Uh, uh, and it's all there. The answer to everything that you might ever need an answer to is in the Bible. So for me, really, really important to go there, to take time out. I often would say as a chief executive, we're not going to decide today. Let's just step back. Take two days, take one day, take a week. And, you know, I had the most amazing privilege um, that in 23 years of working in the public sector, mostly in health and then three years in the police at national level, um, there was only one year where I didn't have committed Christians working as my direct line report, so people working in my team. Extraordinary, because I wasn't out there selecting Christians. They were off the there already. 
sometimes they came and after we'd appointed them because they're appropriate for the job it was evident they told us they'd got a Christian faith but the point is this very simply we prayed together often I have spent a lot of time in the chief executive's office in Salisbury District Hospital on my knees with my face to the floor crying out to God Mm. that the spirit of God would move in that place with other managers who were there at the time and we used to pray before board meetings and ask the Lord to come and inhabit the room so that the decisions of the chairman, the board members, the directors, we were directors along with others, the non-executives, would be uh, inspired decisions. Now I'm not saying that everything we did was perfect, of course not, but the, the context was one where you sought God. Yeah, fantastic, wonderful. So for any of you listening out there and uh, maybe you're not doing that then there's a word of encouragement for you to turn to the lord and i'm reminded often of as you you were talking about that of moses you know he's in the desert leading these two million people um and getting a lot of hassle and a lot of grief from you know a lot of Mm. finger pointing at the chest and uh you know what we learn about moses he takes that and he takes it straight to the lord and says hey lord they're doing this Mm. you know what shall i do and the lord says well do this and do this and so it's it's a very simple clear reminder that there is that heavenly wisdom that James talks about and there's the earthly wisdom yeah and we need to turn don't we to uh, that heavenly wisdom is available in a supernatural way I think so the other thing is there's some realities about uh, human living uh, you know about the process of aging of going through life when I look back at how I did what I did uh, I don't regret decision making that we made and so on but I see that over the years, uh, as, as, as Jesus has worked on me, I've become uh, less um, harsh, if you like. Less sort of, in, you know, this is coming from the brain, from the head. It's more uh, uh, tolerating an ambivalence, uh, more loving, more soft, softer. I don't quite know how to put this, but, you know, something happens. And therefore, this is a good good and important point that we should hold in mind all the time is that God has plenty for those who are older who've been through difficult experiences still to do um, we need them and you know society is often this kind of place where you're written off soon after 40 <laughs> rubbish as far as I'm concerned I, I, I'm, I'm heading for uh, an awful lot more to do as long as the Lord gives me physical health to do it with um, and, and I'm close to well, 59 very soon you know? No, and I say amen to that. And again, I remind the Abraham. I mean, how old was Abraham uh, when he was? Well, he was seventy-five, mm. <laughs> and this was going to be yeah. the start. I'm not planning to have children <laughs> anymore. <laughs> I've got four of those. Yes. Yeah, yeah, but uh, well, interesting to hear what you had to say there. Um, from the NHS, you worked uh, for the Police Training and Development Agency, and then, and then took what seems to be a career change and became much more involved in issues to do with social transformation. Uh, initially as an independent consultant, then as director of the Trussell Trust. Why the change? I went into the police from the health service because uh, I'd had this sense um, for the last three years in the health service that somehow the Lord had released me from the call to the NHS as the mission field, and I didn't know where to go. And I had a particular interest in workforce development and helping those that didn't have access to training didn't have proper qualifications to get them so this is valuing the 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 underdogs in the world of work and you know the nhs at the time had five hundred thousand people who were not properly qualified who weren't trained properly at all uh, and who were badly paid and who were brought in to provide direct care so I was deeply involved at national level in, in, in bringing in the first vocational qualifications in health and leading an organisation as, as chair. It was, called, it was called at that point uh, Health, Work, Health Work UK. Today it's known as Skills for Health. It's still there and a very important organisation. So as a result of that, I got a job uh, working for the Home Secretary and the Police Minister, merging eight organisations in the police and bringing together a new organization to, to uh, develop a new way of, of um, the skills development and training across the police service from the recruits right the way through to leadership of the chief constables so a whole range of different packages 20 different centers 
very complex job, fascinating. But I was the first uh, person since the Second World War to hold a Chief Constable's post who was not a police officer. So it was an unusual fixed-term three-year appointment with a view to uh, transferring some of the learning from the world of health where you know, doctors, nurses and others had decades of experience of evidence-based practice. So connecting the question, what do we need to know and what should we teach to what do we know works? And this was far less clear at the time in, in professional areas like the police. So we were seeking to make a more evidence-based curriculum, a bit technical, that's what we're up to. Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't an unusual person. It was three years fixed term. Came to an end uh, and uh, very busy. I was looking for other jobs. And the assumption was work for the Home Secretary. You've got a big government job. You'll go on to another big government job. And I, of course, applied for such jobs. Um, I got on the short list down to the last two. Even in one case, they just pulled the pulled the appointment and one me left and so on. So it's a peculiar period of several months. During that time, I wandered over to see my friend Paddy Henderson, who founded the Trussell Trust, and said, look, Paddy, I, I, need, I want to do something. Can I drive your van? I volunteer whilst I'm applying for a new job, you know? And he said, no way. Uh, you can't drive my van. It's not because I have... Uh, you know, had, had a reputation for smashing cars up. I don't. But because he said, I need some help with strategy. And that's how my involvement as a volunteer initially started with uh, the Trussell Trust. During that period of going to interviews, uh, high-level government jobs, I felt God saying more and more frequently, I want you to give me some of your time. And I said to the Lord, Lord, I, I've always given you my time. You have it all. I mean, you know, I work is mission. That's what I do. And he says, no, I actually want you to give away two days a week, please. Uh, then the conversation went like this. Lord, I don't like that because that means I've got three days left. Uh, and that means I have to be a consultant, a management consultant. And I don't like consultants. You know that, Lord, you know. And uh, we had this tussle for a while. I like leading things, being in charge. Um, people is the issue. You know, I love to be making something happen with people, through people. In the end, I said, Lord, okay, I'll do it. Uh, but I don't have any work. I don't know how to be a consultant. And I don't have, really, the charities that I can give the time to. That same day, I got a phone call from a friend that said, there's this charity, Soul Survivor, working on Solac in, in the city, 2004, need some help they need someone to stand behind the scenes and chair the leadership team w would you be willing to to go and talk to them about it paddy and i agreed that actually i was already attached to the trussell trust so i had my two charities i bumped in a bit later that week to a friend um on the escalator in the underground uh who said what are you doing i told them what i was doing and she said, oh, gosh, if you're looking for kind of that kind of work, then Stuart needs to hear from you. So I phoned Stuart and ended up becoming the program director for a, to establish a brand new organisation in health, uh, a statutory body that uh, still exists today and does good work. And I said to this, Stuart, I, I, this is a bit difficult, but I will not give you more than three days a week because I've got to the other two committed. He said, no, no, this is a full-time job. And I said, well, we're going to have to do it in three days. He appointed me. And so in terms of something to do and the earnings, God provided powerfully. It lasted a year and a half. I had no issues, no troubles. And then I had to learn what it was like to uh, act live in much more on the edge in regard to finance. Remember, I had four children, wife, uh, mortgage, uh, all the things that make you think you can't let go that it won't turn out okay. But of course it does, because he is an awesome provider. And of course, if he calls you to particular work, then he's yes. the one that has to provide. I mean, he, if, if, if that calling, if he has called you, and that, that's the key, if he's called you, yeah. then he will yes, provide. Yes, I'm going through that right now, actually, <laughs> with a new charity that we're leading, working in, in uh, Balkans and Southern yeah. Europe, tapping yeah. human trafficking. One of my trustees said to me the other day, who told you, Chris, to do this? Mm. And I said, Ray, um, God did. Yeah. 
sounds a bit you know corny but it's true i've got years of of evidence that the lord has been pushing me in this direction and saying you need to do this mm. he said well what is the problem then because yeah. if he did call yeah. you that's the key. Will be faithful. That is that is will the key. Be and it's scary at times. I mean, yeah, I know my own life. You know, having mm. been in the forces and then hearing God very clearly um, prompting me to step out and to do mm. what I'm doing now, it is. You think, oh my Lord, you know, but I've got a salary and I've got a mortgage and just as you said, and, and Lord, I, yeah, I follow you, but I'm not sure. You know, you you go through all those questions, don't yeah. you? Uh, and actually, it's a real, it can be a defining moment of one's faith and one's knowledge and understanding of who God is. Because, of course, you know, the Bible says without faith is, is impossible to please God. He wants us to live by faith. And, of course, mm. we, we, we have a certain understanding of what we're stepping into. But the mm. bit that we don't understand, often the finances, that's where God steps in and says, mm. look, I'll provide. And, and it's obviously when you look back and you say, oh, my goodness me, he, he, he is faithful. Yes. Yes. And so your understanding of who he is you know, and your love of who he is, and uh, it's just, it grows I and grows. I keep notes, I write things down, scribble, type into my laptop, and every now and again go back and have a look. And it's only when you look backwards, as you've just said, and you say, wow. You know, it started there in 1997, then he said it again in 2002, and then in 05, and then in 07, then in 08, and then 9, then 11, then 12, and only then. Did it start to happen? And you think, but yes, he was he was speaking into a situation yeah. way back then. Mm. Amazing, isn't it? Well worth doing. Amazing, isn't it? Now, the Trussell Trust uh, runs a network of over 400 food banks giving emergency food and support to people in crisis across the UK. Um, last year, for instance, the Trussell Trust gave out uh, nearly 1.2 million three-day emergency food um, supplies to people in crisis. Why do you think God has done what he has done with the trussel how how has your faith in christ led you as you have been the chairman of the trust i think it goes back to the period working alongside paddy supporting him at that time we had a great project in salisbury a food bank uh, and the lord spoke to us as trustees saying you need to spread this around the country every town should have one you know we had it on our hearts what on earth happens to someone who hasn't got food and desperately needs it if they don't happen to live in Salisbury where at least they have a chance of getting some help heavy burden and so we decided to seek to replicate so the beginning was working alongside Paddy then for about 10 years just over 10 years I was leading the organization a director executive chairman various different titles but basically leading uh, at God is absolutely critical to the story because we decided that, you know, it was the people of God who would step up to the plate and respond to that challenge. What do we do? Matthew 25, Jesus says absolutely clearly, you know, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I, I was in prison, sick and in prison, you visited me. And, you know, people say, when did I see you, Lord? Uh, and, and what does he say? He says, it was when you did it to the least of these. Very, very important for us to understand that we do this for Jesus. And so, of course, it's got to be led, in our view, by the Christian church. It's bizarre to think that anybody who is a Christian, who wor worships in a church anywhere in the country, might not agree. You know, that's how I see it. Because Jesus is so clear. He's also very, very challenging in Matthew 25 because he says, and of course there are others of you who didn't. You turned your back. Mm. And, and effectively, Jesus doesn't really care very much what you say about your faith and your belief and your understanding of the theology if when he asks you to do something simple, you don't. So hugely challenging. And what we used to say, and again I, I shared it with Patrick Butler, the Guardian uh, reporter who, who you quoted at the beginning I said as far as us people who have got a Christian faith are concerned we do this because Jesus told us to it's amazing because tens of thousands of people who don't have a Christian faith are helping us and they're amazing people I mean you know we give away the food because we've been given the food 
and we're given the food by literally actually millions of people in the UK every year give Trussell Trust uh, food banks food vast majority of them don't go to church but you know they're made in the image of God they have hearts that have a soft centre and they know how awful it is to be poor and they want mm. to do something we make it easy this is how you do it give yeah. the food yeah fantastic well it's certainly been a blessing to <clears throat> hundreds of thousands across the country and and i'm sure and we could speak for hours about wonderful stories about how those people who perhaps didn't have a faith have come to faith as a result of of that very practical help that you've given them um recently both you and your wife angela have had severe health problems um i don't know if you care to talk about what what those problems actually are and uh where has god been in all of this because they have been very very tough and how has this shaped your understanding of who god is and your very faith in him these are really big questions yeah we both angela and i uh, have had our own uh, personal health challenges for me uh, this began in well sometime in 2013 i guess when i began to notice that my running times were getting slower and running to me matters I wasn't breathing properly, struggling. There was a time when I was uh, in a big campaign uh, to try and raise the profile of, of food hung poverty in the UK, to try and urge the government to do something to improve their, their approach to welfare delivery and welfare reform, because there were aspects of it which were simply uh, cruel uh, and inhuman. Uh, and we had to stand up as prophetic people and say, that's wrong, you need to stop, you need to think again. So I, I you know, was involved in meetings with senior people, including uh, uh, time meeting David Cameron in his office in Downing Street. And at the same time, uh, wondering what on earth is going wrong with my body. Um, sometime around about April 2014, I had a diagnosis of a, of a heart valve that, that was failing. I'd been, turn out I'd been born with something with a bit missing. Um, so I've had open heart surgery, I've had a heart valve replaced. Things didn't go perfectly right, and as a consequence, I've got a pacemaker and I had a, they auto grafted. So a bit of plastic pipe, metal valve, pacemaker, and it's like going to the garage to have some pieces sort of put in your <laughs> old car. You know, the, the car gets younger, doesn't it? It works better. And I run again, uh, and I work better. It's wonderful, but difficult because uh, there were I, I did have some difficulties in hospital I was there for many weeks in and uh, high dependency and in intensive care um, because things had gone slightly wrong and that whole question well Lord what are you doing we never ask why not because we're especially strong but because it's not a question that comes to mind the question is usually why not why shouldn't we uh, you know why not really but uh, the extraordinary business of getting used to the idea that you might not be around in fact this might be you know not many days left uh, thinking that one through it's possible um, realizing that it didn't matter that you hadn't finished everything you needed to finish because God loved you anyway uh, and so on I'm still grappling with the difficult challenge of learning how to be weak. I have to take pills every day, you know, uh, uh, and so on uh, and all that. But frankly, that's been kind of pushed into the shadow and quite rightly by um, Angela's challenges. She, she developed uh, cancer, breast cancer around the same time that uh, I was in hospital. Um, and so straight into a whole series of treatments, chemotherapy and surgery and radiotherapy. And I, you know, she got better for a while and then she's had uh, a, a brain tumor since the secondary and we've come through that. And what do we say? Well, what does she say? Is God's there. The Lord is the person who is alongside, beside, at every step of the journey, who's the comfort, who is the hope and we're rejoicing at the moment that the surgery has been extremely successful and she's developing strength again and mm. we we measure strength these days by whether or not we can do uh, our dancing class and we're back at that <laughs> and 
it usually ends with us uh, jiving and I can tell you that's quite an exercise so uh, that's how we say it. yes we're back to jiving fantastic that is wonderful I did a bit of dancing Molly loves dancing and I'm hopeless at dancing so we, 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 our class we've done sure. a bit of that <laughs> oh well praise the Lord for that yeah. I mean you know I think it's when it's gets like really personal you know i'm really not very well at all you know and this isn't something that's going to go away in 24 hours and, and it goes mm. on for weeks mm. and you really start thinking, oh lord you know what is going on here and as you say it's not the why it's what what are you doing through this yeah. um uh, and it is an intriguing area to explore and to think about and pray about i'm someone who for since teenage has had uh, the privilege of being involved in praying for others and seeing dramatic and miraculous healing. So I'm used to that. I'm used to the idea that God will intervene and does restore sight, who does uh, mend broken bones, you know, who does give people back life when there's no hope left. Mm. I've seen it. Mm. Uh, and so when you then find yourself in a situation and somehow for some whatever reason aren't driven to see it as unfair but actually feel lord you're in charge it is complex you know i i i'm chewing away at it thinking mm. about it well mm. what do we learn here mm. um, yeah. doesn't undermine the faith though mm. wonderful um you've mentioned some some uh, you've mentioned the bible as we've been talking you've talked about uh, some bible verses that have inspired you and helped you um, why why is the Bible important to you? Well, it's the way in which we see the Lord. You know, it's not the only way, but it's a kind of core, a fundamental. It, it's it's living. Um, you know. I was thinking about, well, how do you pick a book and say, that's my favorite? Because this is the living word. I mean, it changes. It, it speaks. I see new stuff all the time. I think, why didn't I see that before? I read this for years, you know. But God is saying, I'm telling you this now because I want you to see it today. Um, it has all the answers, as I said earlier. And the crux of this for me is is the, the, the Gospels, the understanding of uh what God is like and what he expects of us and what we can expect of him as revealed by Jesus. That for me is the absolute core of this. Uh, I, I read it again and again. I think, wow, Lord, you know, what you say here is, is sometimes extremely challenging and we're, we're way off yet. We haven't got there yet. But, you know, what I'm reading, what I read are the words of the living God. How dare we think anything other than that this is truth and that we should obey it and seek to act in faith in line with what he says. You know, that kind of thing. Mm. Very hard, mm. but very wonderful at mm. the same time because we're being revealed a God who is utterly loving, utterly forgiving, who actually cares deeply about the last, the lost, and the least. Mm. You know, what does that mean? It means if you screw up in an exam and you come last and you don't pass and your parents are disappointed, Jesus isn't. <laughs> this, you know, this is not how we're made in this society of ours. He loves us when we go wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, how, do you, um, how do you study it? I read something from the Bible every day. Um, I ask the Lord to prompt me. So sometimes uh, I'll go and look at things that I feel I should look at. Um, other times I'm working through a, a sort of some study material. I read a lot of Christian books and theology. I read uh, sermons. I like to find out how God spoke to people in other times because often that's a really powerful way of shaking us out of our complacency, but making us understand, you know, that we're Christians are always at risk of being compromised by the spirit of the age. So if I go and get hold of some sermons by um, John Henry Newman, for example, and I've got a big book of them, uh, 
19th century, great preacher, powerful, very different tradition to mine. And you say, wow, yes, that's really insightful. Or um, just uh, this weekend, I was reading some stuff written by um, Sveti Ivan Rilski, a Saint John of Rilla. Uh, and he wrote uh, some more than a thousand years ago. Uh, and, and I'm reading this stuff thinking, golly, this is, this is so powerful because it's out of our context and yet it's the re revelation of God speaking through a person because they've been looking at the scripture too. This is what the Bible's saying to them. It's the same word that you and I are looking at um, and the Lord has been speaking and using it right across the globe for 2,000 years and more probably if you say that he was speaking to people before Jesus. You know, so what a resource. Yeah, fantastic. Do you have a favorite book in the Bible? Not really, no, is the absolutely <laughs> honest answer. I, I love reading um, Matthew and Luke's Gospels because that's where I see Jesus and I hear Jesus. Um, I also enjoy reading John's Gospel, but I sometimes find some of what Jesus is saying there quite difficult to get. You know, I think, how do I how to ground this? Powerful, challenging. Yeah. But I, 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 I head for the Gospels. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for those of you listening, um, you probably expect me to say this anyway. We have a, a precept, a, a two wonderful studies actually on Matthew's uh, Gospel and Luke. Uh, the one on Matthew is called The Coming of God's Kingdom. And uh, the one on Luke, which I love the title, is The Call to Follow Jesus. So if you're interested in what Chris has been saying about um, books of the Bible to, to get into, then you might want to consider uh, getting those. Um, and what about people in the Bible, apart from Jesus, of course, you know, any particular people uh, that you're drawn to for a reason? Yeah, um, on occasions I have learned a lot by thinking through the life experience of a couple of prophets, Jonah and Jeremiah. And the reason for that is that there have been occasions because of the public uh, service that I've been involved in on the profile that we've had around some issues related to public policy. I have had the privilege and also the challenge of speaking to people in power uh, quite strongly, uh, challenging them to think differently about how they exercise that power. And, you know, taking a look at how prophets do that, how they do it with humility, how they face the consequences of speaking out, the fact that they're, um, you know, very ordinary people. Jonah ran, didn't he? And only then turned around and said, okay, God, you've got me. I'm going to go and do it. Jeremiah had a tough time. Mm. It didn't turn out well for him. Mm. Um, and there have been occasions where, yeah, speaking up hasn't turned out very well, mm. but I was sure it was right. Mm. Um, so that's been an encouragement to you to see how yeah, others... Do you, look at a, you look at how they do it and you say, okay, let's try that. Yeah, wonderful. And um, do you have a favorite Bible verse at all? Uh, the, the Bible, as I said, it, it's, it's alive, so it speaks to me a lot. But just just at the moment, um, I'm thinking a great deal about uh, two particular verses with similar similar messages. I mean, w one is from Ephesians uh, chapter two and verse ten, where you know Paul tells us that we're created for good works that God's prepared for us to do beforehand. You know, even before we were made, he needed us to come and do it. Yeah. It's extraordinary thought mm. that he actually mm. is preparing stuff for you and me. Mm. Me, I, I won't, mm. won't label you in any way, Nigel, but for me, you know, yeah. doesn't he know what I'm like? And yet he wants me to do something. And, uh, mm. you know, Philippians uh, chapter 2, the whole thing about taking on the humble heart, being like Jesus, but particularly... At the moment, verse 13 of chapter 2, um, or again, uh, he says, For it is God who is at work in you. Extraordinary thought. You know, you may be wondering what's happening in your life at the moment. Why, why is this sort of difficult at the moment? Or what's this thing happening to me for? Well, you know, actually, could be it's for the fact that God is at work in you. This is God. Yeah. 
Wonderful. to will and to act, to fulfill his good purpose. It may not seem like that, but that's what's going on. Yeah. It's how the Lord is saying, speaking to me at the minute. So, you know, that's how the, the, the verse comes and you un unpack it. And no doubt in a few weeks' time, if you'd asked me the same question, I'd probably be telling you something around a different verse. Yeah, it's living and active. It's living it? and active. Speaks at different times, different circumstances yeah. to us. My habit of spending time with the Bible has been, you know, developed from teenage. Uh, we heard all the stuff about the quiet time and everything else. But actually, it was the challenge that my dad placed before me as a young father with children who are waking up every single night that cemented it. I remember him sitting on the sofa in our house saying, do you still pray regularly and study the Bible? And I said, Dad, you don't understand how hard it is with Hannah waking up 10 times a night and I'm trying to manage this hospital, you know. I'm just half dead on my feet. And he said, somehow or other, just make time essential. I see his face, I hear his voice, and from that moment on, I returned to absolute uh, rigor in the habit. Mm. And I, I'd encourage people mm. to hold with that, but also encourage those of you who feel prompted to speak you know words of wisdom to colleagues friends children relatives i'm talking now the impact that that one father had on his son over 30 years ago you know yeah wonderful chris it's been an absolute joy to speak with you today and uh I feel as though we, you know, we could carry on talking for another two or three hours uh, on many other, many other subjects. But great to see you back fit again, um, and Angela back on her feet and and getting stronger. That is wonderful. And uh, I think we ought to get you back actually for another podcast later on. Talk about what the Lord's leading you into next, because that's a whole different subject. Very exciting where the Lord is leading you um, to help many, many people in a different part of the world outside the UK. Yes, new charity, Foundation for Social Change and Inclusion, FSCI, um, helping some of the most disadvantaged people in Southeast Europe, particularly people who are victims of trafficking, um, get back on their feet. Yeah. And key point is possible yeah. with your support. Yeah. No more than Jesus would want us to do. So, Chris, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. You have been listening to the Bible and Me podcast by Preset Ministries UK. If you enjoyed this episode, please click the subscribe button now and consider leaving us a rating or review. If you'd like to learn more about the ministry or make a donation, visit www.precept.org.uk or follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube at Preset Min UK.